In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens, the universes, the galaxies, the solar systems, and our temporary home, Earth. And God spoke his first recorded words, let there be light. And by the power of his word, darkness exploded and light was birthed on planet Earth. Day one. On day two, he created the sky, the atmosphere, the heavens immediately above the Earth, oxygen, jet streams, an ozone layer, and an environment that would sustain life. Then, on day three, he set the continents in place and carved out the oceans. He formed the rivers and streams, and our God shaped the mountains and designed the land. He placed the plants and trees across the landscape of his world that he created. It was beautiful, and it was good. Almighty God looked across the skies on day four and filled the universe. In that space he had made on day one, he now placed the planets, the stars, and the suns across the unending galaxies of space. And God made the two larger lights, the sun to rule over the day and the moon to rule over the night. He also made the stars. Stars that would outnumber the sands on the seashore, innumerable lights throughout the heavens and across the galaxies, and it was good. And then on day five, he filled the waters with countless creatures, and with the word of his power, he covered the skies and the forests with birds. Your Bible says he created the great sea monsters, all kinds of living creatures that live and breathe in the water. And God was pleased with what he had made. Day six was the culmination of his created order. He spoke into being a vast animal kingdom, domestic and wild, large and small, the dog and the dinosaur, the mighty lion and the humble kitten. And then your Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, this is very good. And it was perfect. It was, it was perfect. Until that slithering hellish snake of a devil offered to Adam and Eve an option to act independently of God. 
ironic, isn't it? The snake suggested that they strike out on their own. And they did. By the way, when I strike out on my own, I, I strike out. When you strike out on your own, you strike out. You strike out when you choose to act independent of of your creator. You strike out when you choose to rebel against the relationship. You strike out when when you listen to the lies of Satan rather than the truth of your God. You strike out. And, and, and Adam and Eve, they did what we do. They, they did what they wanted. What, what they wanted. And man fell and he's been falling ever since. Um, I don't have to remind you the mess that this world is in because of our opting to do what we want instead of what our king says. I... I I pulled up the news this morning on my latest and greatest iPhone 6S. <laughs> so this is just, um, this is, oh, is there one newer than that? <laughs> so this is just some of, the, some of the headline news that pulled up on my phone this morning. Garage worker charged with attempted murder after confrontation with an alleged armed thief. Man uses Apple AirTag, AirTag to track down the person who stole his truck, and then he kills him. CDC warns of a virus <laughs> after deadly outbreak, sending personnel to stop the spread of disease. These are just some of them. These are just some of them. Woman abducted, raped in a mobile home for hours before escaping, police said. Transgender female wrestler gives verbal smackdown to WWE Hall of Famer. It just, it just goes, Big Bang Theory star welcomes first child with boyfriend. Homeland Security adjusts policy to accept reported gender identity on immigration benefits applications. It just, it just goes on and on. Need I remind you the mess that this world is in because we have opted to act independent of our creator. We have opted to strike out on our own. And Genesis says, with Adam and Eve, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of opting to act independent of their creator, that that death entered the human race and sin cursed and sin curses and there is now this unbearable weight upon us all. Sin's just, just like that. I, I would remind you that sin always takes you further than you want to go. It, it always costs you more than you want to pay. It always keeps you way longer than you ever wanted to stay. It was perfect until we messed it up. And you two have been there, right? I mean, it's just us here, so let's, let's be honest. Some of us in this room are reeling from the pain that we caused in our own lives because we opted to act independent of our God and the choices that we made and the choices that others around us made and now the pain that we endure. It all started with Adam and Eve there in the garden. 
And right before God drove them from the garden because of of their, their choice, because of their sin, right before he drove them from the garden, here's what the Bible says. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Genesis 3.21, you know, you, know, you know the story. So the question is this, where did the garments come from? Where did the garments of skin come from? Well, multiple choice. A, uh, they had an Amazon gift card. <laughs> B, they ordered them online. C, a lamb was slain, a sacrifice was made. We can't even begin to understand what, what that, how, how that got, made God feel. This creation that he made now, the first thing that he does is he, he takes the life of one of his creation. Lamb was slain. In, in the beginning of time, God made it crystal clear that, that sin brings death. Physical and spiritual death and suffering that is temporary and, and physical and spiritual death and suffering that is eternal. And because of sin, a very costly sacrifice was paid. God was telling us something early on in the very first book in the Bible. There is this, there's this scarlet thread. There's this pattern that God begins showing us in the very first book in the Bible, right there in Genesis. You see, it's a lamb for a man. Adam in Hebrew, Avam, means man. A lamb for a man. Death came to the lamb that was sacrificed. Because of sin, blood was shed. A lamb for a man. And then you go over to the book of Exodus. You fast forward a few thousand years, and, and what you see in Exodus is when you arrive there, which is such an incredibly helpful book. Matter of fact, you can't understand the New Testament without, you can't understand much of what happens in history without understanding Genesis and Exodus. But you arrive at Exodus, this very helpful book, and, and Moses is leading an enslaved Israel out of Egypt. You know the story. But it was a, it was a hard-fought Exodus. And you'll remember those 10 plagues that God brought because God's demand to Pharaoh was let my people go. And Pharaoh said, sure, 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 no problem. You know the story, Pharaoh didn't do that. He chose to act independent of the God who was God and the God who is God. And the God who is God sent those plagues. You remember the plagues? Series of fascinating and terrible plagues. And the God who is God, he won every battle. Israel prayed to her God, Egypt prayed to her gods, and the plagues came, and the God who is God won every battle. And, and, and Pharaoh, King Pharaoh, kept shaking his little fist in the face of the one who truly was king. And so God would send another plague. And Pharaoh kept saying no, and God would send plague after plague. And finally, there was that terrible, horrible 10th plague, the last plague. The plague of the death of the firstborn. You remember that? In the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And, and the death of the firstborn, the only way, the only way to be protected from the coming death was the lamb had to be sacrificed. The coming death was spared by the shedding of blood. You remember the story? It's part of the pattern that God set out. And it wasn't enough in Exodus that just the lamb was 
sacrificed and blood was spilt, the blood had to be applied to the doorpost of the house. You remember? It's not enough that just blood was spilt. Blood had to be applied. God was telling us something. Not just in that day, but he's telling us something today. It is not enough that just the blood of Jesus is shed. His blood has to be applied. The love of God is not enough. His blood has to be applied. His sacrifice for you has to be applied to you. And here's what Exodus says in Exodus chapter 12. You can turn there. You can look at it on the screen. But the word of God says, on that night, God said, I will pass through the land of Egypt. On that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. When Jesus Christ, when the Father, when the Holy Spirit looks at me, when he looks at you, there is one distinguishing mark that he is looking for. Not your personality, not your race, not your education, not your family tree, not whether you are male or whether you are female, not where you live or what heritage you come out of. He's looking for the distinguishing. There's only one. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's looking for. It's the one distinguishing mark. And, and, and God set it up long ago. He said, now there's a pattern. Don't miss this pattern. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Exodus 12, no plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day, this day is to be a memorial for you. And you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You're to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. You're to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day, I brought you military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statue. And on that wonderful and terrible night, God delivered his people from the 400-year death grip of slavery. But the price of deliverance was death. The price of deliverance was blood. The Passover lamb was sacrificed. A spotless lamb, Exodus said, had to die. Death was the cost of freedom. You remember that God instituted there, we just read it in Exodus chapter 12, a special, unique, one-of-a-kind feast that commemorated that night. And it was called from that day forward, it was called the Passover. Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. But I would repeat to you, in order for death not to come to the firstborn in the house, not only did a sacrifice had to be made, not only was a lamb offered, not only was blood spilt, but the blood of that lamb had to be applied to the door of the house. And family, families throughout the land were, were spared death because the blood was applied. In Genesis, it was a lamb for a man. In Exodus, it was a lamb for a family. And you get to where we're stopping today in the book of, of, of Leviticus, the third book in the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and you're going to see the pattern repeat. In Genesis, a lamb for a man. In Exodus, a lamb for a family. So not long after Israel leaves Egypt, they get to the edge of the desert 
And God says, I want you to go into this land of promise that I have given you, but they were afraid. They were afraid of the giants. They, they were afraid of, of what was out there. And in their disobedience, they wouldn't follow God. They, would, they wouldn't follow God. After all he had done for them, they wouldn't follow him. So he said, okay, then you can wander around in the desert for 40 years. They say they averaged about 70 to 80 funerals a day over the period of 40 years. They wouldn't have buried them on the, on the Sabbath, but, but they averaged about 70 to 80 funerals a day for 40 years. So they wandered around in the desert for four decades. Let me ask you this, church. During those 40 years of wandering, did God ever leave them? He, ne he never left them. Your God never leaves you. Your, your God never forgets you. Your God never forsakes you. Can I get a witness? He has never one time walked away from you. But Mike, how, how, do, you, how do you know that's true? Because he said it. And everything that he says is true, and every promise he makes, he keeps, and he says, I won't ever, ever leave you. Um, growing up um, as a kid in, in our family, we, we always had several Bibles around the house, and they were open. Open Bible does a whole lot more good in the life of a person in the closed Bible. And, and, and we had different translations around the house. Mom's favorite was the KJV. She had the Schofield Reference Edition, King James Version, 1611, with the, the, the notes in the bottom. Um, by the way, in your Bible, the notes in the bottom, what man says about the Bible, is not as important as above the line what God says about the Bible. But anyway, she had the Schofield Reference Edition, 1611, King James Version, Schofield Reference Bible. That was, that, was her, that was her favorite Bible. But we had different translations in the house. And one day she came in with this green Bible. It was, it was the living Bible. You, you remember years ago that green, it had that cushy green uh, cover on it. You squeeze it, it would do like this. And I would pick it up and I would, I would, I would open it up and I'd start reading it and, and then I'd, I'd pull out either the King James or I'd pull out the New American Standard, which was one of my favorite translations, and I, I would compare. And a lot of times the Living Bible made, made it a little bit easier to understand than, than whithersoever thou goest. And so I would, I would, I would read it, and, and you open up the Living Bible to um, Psalm 139, 17 and 18, and I love, I love, I love how this one says it. Check out these two verses from Psalm 139, 17. And 18, how precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me. And when I waken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. So at 2.35 this morning, he was thinking about you. At 4.19 this morning, he was thinking about you. At this very moment in life, he is thinking about you. The psalmist says, I, I can't get it around my brain how often, God, you're always thinking about me. And, and he's, always, he's always thinking. You go back to, to, to those years of wandering in the desert, those 40 years, and God never left them. Did, did I mention to you God never leaves you? So even in those 40 years of wandering, God did something incredible for Israel. 
and with Israel and to Israel. As a matter of fact, he told Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to build me a house. It's going to have to be a portable house because you guys are wondering, and, and I, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, st- I'm, going to, I'm going to stay with you. I want you to hang out with me. I'm going to hang out with you, and, and I want you to build a house. Moses, I'm going, to, I'm going to be among you. I'm going to tabernacle among you. And so he said, Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And he gave him very, very specific instructions, of every little detail of it. Very detailed instructions on how to build it. It was ornate. It was impressive. Every facet, every facet of the tabernacle had profound temporary and spiritual and eternal meanings. And, and Exodus gives us specifics about the tabernacle. So when you, when you see the tabernacle in the Bible, um, you see pictures of it. It's so much more ornate. It was so much more ornate than the pictures that we see of it. But that, that was similar to what it was. Um, Moses didn't have that little electrical box in the front bottom hand. He, he, that, that came about in Joshua's day, but, but Duke Power, Duke Energy had not been invented yet, so, so for, forget that. But, but that, that is a semblance of what the tabernacle looked like. And you're looking at a picture of it. And, and when you went into the tabernacle, there was this outer court inside the, inside the walls. And, and the people would gather that. But the most important part of the tabernacle was that tent, the tent of the meeting. If you walked inside the tent of the meeting, there were only two rooms. There was a larger room. And, and, and then in the back of that larger room, there was a, there was a, a veil, animal hides that had been sewn and glued together and they were very thick and it was very strong and it was it was extremely heavy and and behind that curtain behind that veil was a small room very small room and in that small room there was something that was powerful and and Leviticus talks about it I I want you to take your Bibles and, and turn to Leviticus chapter 16 when you arrive at this third book in the Old Testament you're introduced to the, the most important day in, in the entire year in the nation of Israel. It's called the Day of Atonement. Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about it. And if you haven't read Leviticus 16 lately, I would encourage you to. If you've never read it, you're probably going to need to read it two or three times because it is full of symbolism. It is so full of truth that relates to our lives. But you have to... You have to read it two or three times and then the light bulb starts coming on. And a lot of things are happening, incredible things are happening on this tremendously important day. But there are about three main things that I want to remind you of on this day. The Day of Atonement, Leviticus talks about it. It was the 10th day of the seventh month on their calendar in the Jewish calendar, that'd be the month of Tishri, but, but it is the holiest day of the Jewish year. And I want you to notice one particular verse in Leviticus chapter 16. Go way down toward the end of verse 30. Leviticus 16, 30 says, Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. That very first word, what was that first word that God used? Atonement. To be made right 
at one, to be made one with God, to be made right before God, to be brought into a right relationship with God. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you. And you'll be clean from all your sins before the Lord. But here's the first thing I want to remind you about that, that day of atonement. It was, it was not an ordinary day. And there was nothing about it that was ordinary. Israel's problem was they were a sinful people and you could not come to God on your own behalf. Israel knew they had a problem. But they also knew they couldn't come before God on their own behalf. Someone had to go to God on their behalf. Someone had to go to God for them. Someone had to come before God for them. That someone was the high priest. This is so foreign to you, isn't it? It's so foreign to us because we don't have a, we don't have a, we don't have this. But the symbolism is there. Let, let's say that you said, well, God, I don't like, I don't like the way that you set this up. And you decided, I'm going to go into the tent of meeting. I'm going to walk in, in, inside the walls. I'm going to go across the outer court. I'm going to make my way into the tent of meeting. I'm going to go through the holy place, that first room. And I'm going to go behind the veil into the most holy place or the holy of holies. God, I'm going to meet with you there. Because that was the place where God came down. In the most holy place, in the holy of holies, it was the place that God came down. The Shekinah glory, the God of heaven, the God of all of creation. He came down to meet with his people. But his people couldn't go in there. But if you decided you wanted to break the rule and you just wanted to go into the holy of holies and you wanted to meet with God, what would happen to you at that moment that you went in behind that curtain? God would strike you dead. No exceptions. Well, Mike, I'm an exception. Mike, you know, God loves. No, you're not an exception. God doesn't play exceptions. God is not politically correct. God doesn't care about cultural appropriateness. God, God, God is God, and he has this holy standard. And he says, you cannot come before me on your own. Translated, your sinful self cannot just walk in my presence anytime you think you want to. Let's be more specific. God says, your sinful person cannot ever, ever come before my holiness. You try to walk in this place and get a conference, get an audience with me, you will die. Mike, I don't like that. Don't care that you don't like that. You don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. God said, sinful man cannot come before the glory and the holiness of who he is. You could not come to God on your own. You couldn't come before God on your own behalf. But there was one who could come to God on your behalf. He was called the high priest. His name happened to be Aaron. And Aaron the high priest would go to God on your behalf. And, and on this special day, the Day of Atonement that Leviticus 16 talks about in detail, on that day, Aaron would go before God. It was a holy day. It was unlike any other day. And, and here's, here's what the Bible says. Look down in verse, um, verse 2 of chapter 16 of the book of Leviticus. The Lord told Moses, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. The Lord told Moses... 
tell your brother Aaron, now Aaron was the high priest, tell your brother Aaron, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the veil in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die. Because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Do you see that? Even there in the high priest couldn't decide, well, I, I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling holy today. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go have a meeting with God. God said, Moses, you tell Aaron, he can't come before me whenever he wants. He can't do what he wants. He can't orchestrate this thing like he wants. There's a time that I'm going to meet with my people, but I'm the one that decides the time, and I'm the one that decides when he comes before me. I hope you'll read the entire chapter for himself, but the only way that Aaron could approach God on this day, the only way he could approach God on this day, first, of course, he would offer an offering for himself, and he would pray, and he would ask for God's forgiveness in his own life, and he would pray over his family, and he would pray forgiveness but on that day of atonement, the way that Aaron would come before God is after he had dealt with himself and his family, when he came on behalf of the people, the only way that he could approach God was with the blood of a sacrifice. There's a pattern here. The only way he could come before God was with the blood of a sacrifice. And Aaron would have confessed his own sins and he would have made a sacrifice for himself, but then he would come before God behind the curtain in the holy of holies or the most holy place. And when he would come to God on behalf of the people, a sacrifice would have been made for the people. Don't miss this important truth. I know I'm belaboring a little bit, but, but in order for Aaron to come before God, a sacrifice had to be made and I know there was the blood of lambs and there was the blood of bulls and there was the blood of goats and tremendous symbolism and all of that, but, but, the, but the animals would be, would be slain, the sacrifices would be made, Aaron would take the blood and he would go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, he would go behind the curtain to meet with God. But he could only approach God if he had the blood. Don't, don't miss this important truth. Um, if, you, if you ask the question, and most people do, exactly where did Aaron meet with God? The place that he met with God, God called it the mercy seat. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, um, there, was, there was this behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. It was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a gold box. It was about, it was about 45 inches this way, about 27 inches this way, about 27 inches this way. And, and there were things that God instructed Moses to put inside of that box. And one of the things that Moses put inside of that box was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments represented the law of God. It represented a standard that God put for all people. And no one was able to keep the law. No one was able to not sin. God says, here's a simple way that I want you to live. And, and we couldn't. We lied. We cheated. We stole. We, we forgot to put God first. Or we intentionally decided we're going to do what we wanted to do. And we took his name in vain. And we made other gods that we put in front of him. And the Ten Commandments represented those things. 
And Moses put those things in the box, in the Ark of the Covenant. You look at the Ark of the Covenant, here's what Leviticus chapter 16 verse 14 says, that Aaron the high priest is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger against the east side of the mercy seat, and then he would sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. So he takes the blood, he walks into the holy of holies or the most holy place, he stands there before the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. Technically, when you look at that box, you'll see two things. It looks like one thing, but you'll see two things. At the bottom there is a box. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Sitting on top of the box is a solid gold lid, solid gold. On that lid, there are two angels. Those angels are the cherubim. Their wings are touching. They're made out of solid gold. The top of that box is called the mercy seat. The cherubim always have represented in the Bible and still represent today the angels of God that are designated as the guardians of the holiness of God. Guardians of the holiness of God. When Aaron the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, when he stood before the Ark of the Covenant, when he had the blood that was going to be put on the mercy seat, it was very clear to him, it was very clear to all the people of God, and it was certainly very clear to God. Here's what he was doing. Inside the box was the Ten Commandments. It represented the law of God that man had broken, the sin that man had committed. Man is down here in his brokenness and his sin, and God is up here in his holiness, and between man and God are the cherubim that stand there and guard the holiness of God, and man down here in his sin cannot ascend and get to God. They guard the holiness of God, and so Aaron the high priest walks into the holy of holies. He takes the sacrifice and he puts the blood on the mercy seat. Mercy seat is that place um, in the Old Testament. It was very clear to Israel. The mercy seat is the place where sins are forgiven. It's the place where appeasement takes place. It is the place where once the blood has been shed and the blood has been applied, God comes down and meets with man. So you've got a, if you didn't catch it, you've got a holy God up here. You've got a sinful man down here. The cherubim who represent the holiness of God, who represent the fact that no sinful man down here can get to a holy God up here. So what are we going to do? God made a way. God made a mercy seat. God made a place where blood could be shed and blood could be applied so that a sinful man could approach a holy God and a holy God could dwell with man. That was not man's idea. Man would have never come up with that. It was God's idea. God met man at the mercy seat. Look down in verse 30. Again, verse 30. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. 
How was atonement made? Blood was shed, blood was applied to the mercy seat. Without the shedding of blood, there was no atonement. Aaron could not go into the Holy of Holies dry-handed and say, God, I stand before you and I pray to you on behalf of the people of Israel that you would forgive us, that you would walk with us, that we could walk. He could not do that. The only way that he could come before God was with blood, was with a sacrifice. Hebrews says it this way, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, there's no appeasing, there's no cleansing, there's no chance, there's no salvation. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the scarlet thread? In Genesis, it's a lamb for a man. In Exodus, it's a lamb for a family. In Leviticus, it's a lamb. And I know there's blood of bulls and goats, and I know there's all that. Lamb for a nation. Lamb for a nation. We just sang it this morning. Fast forward to Calvary. Mankind is still lost. The blood of bulls and goats never saved anyone in the Old Testament. It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that made you right before God. They had to keep doing that over and over. The Passover over and over. The Day of Atonement over and over and over and over and over. Every year they had to do it over and over. Fast forward from the tabernacle to Calvary. Mankind is still lost. Mankind is still, we're still guilty of our sin. So God doesn't just send us a high priest, he sends us a great high priest. Jesus, the Bible says, is our great high priest. He's the one who's getting ready to go to God on our behalf, on behalf of sinful man and a holy God. We can't get to God on our own. Jesus stands, the Bible says he's the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's one of his, one of his titles, one of his many titles. The man of God who stands between God and man, the, the mediator. And Jesus stands there between his sinful humanity and a holy God. And the Bible says that Jesus became our mercy seat. That Jesus Christ, when he did what he did, when he offered his blood to God for us on our behalf. Matter of fact, when Jesus died on Calvary, one of the incredible things that happened was there in the tabernacle, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Because now any man, anywhere, any woman, any time could come before God because of what Jesus Christ had done. You didn't have to go to the high priest because you had a great high priest. You didn't have to trust in some sacrifice that man did because the son of man sacrificed his life once and for all. Why don't we have a day of atonement anymore? Because it's already, when Jesus died and rose again, it was once and for all. His blood is for once and for all. His salvation is once and for all. His forgiveness is once and for all. His restoration is once and for all. And when he did what he did for you, and when he did what he did for me, he did it forever. You, you can't get to God unless you go through the Son. You see the pattern. 
Genesis, a lamb for a man. Exodus, a lamb for a family. Leviticus, a lamb for a nation. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Some of you, like me, you, you remember this day long ago. You, you were a little kid. You were growing up in church. And the guy on the, on, the, on, the, on the platform, he would say, take your hymnals and turn to hymn number 142 and let's sing all the stanzas. And, and, and so you turn in, in, in 142 and, and, and you'd all stand up and, and you were just a kid. You didn't understand all this stuff that was happening. You knew it was important. You, you felt something on the back of your neck and it was good. And, and there was a holy sense in the room and you didn't understand all of it, but you understood part of it and you stood there with the congregation. And they began to sing. And then you looked up at your mom or your dad and there were tears running down her face or tears running down his face as, as the voices swelled in the room. It started low, but then the pitch went higher. They started singing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You looked up as a kid, the tears were streaming down his mom's face and she went, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains And there was this hush that came over the room and it wasn't just the tears running down your mama's face. You looked around and there was this, this holy hush because the people were thinking about the blood of Christ and what he went through so that we might not have stains, so that we might be forgiven, so that we didn't have to live like we wanted to live, but we could live the way that God designed us, designed us to live. I know that in this, in this house, we, we're so excited about Resurrection Day, that's, that's next Sunday. But before you stand and celebrate at the door of an empty tomb, kneel at the foot of a cross where a Savior died that you might have life and that you might have forgiveness and that you might be redeemed, that you might be restored. Well, we call this day Palm Sunday. Most of you knew that's what this day is. It's Palm Sunday. It, re it remembers that day that Jesus on the, on, the, on the back of a donkey rode into Jerusalem and, and the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they took the palm branches and they, they put it down in the road. But it wasn't long after that that they were calling for his crucifixion. And right before he was crucified, right before he was betrayed, that, that night, that terrible night, that Thursday night, when um, Jesus gathered his disciples together during the, the, the Passover meal, when they were going to remember that, that great night of Exodus where God delivered his people. 
Jesus took the bread and he, he took the wine and, and he gave it new meaning. He said, this bread, this is my body, which is broken for you. We celebrated that here last week. He, he took the, the fruit of the cup. This is my blood, which is shed for you. And he told him, I want you to remember this night. On this Passover night, he told his disciples, I want you to remember that, that the, the saving power of God to deliver his people. But when you remember the saving power of God to deliver his people, you don't have to go back to Egypt anymore. Just go to Calvary. In Genesis, it was the lamb for man. In Exodus, the lamb for a family. In Leviticus, it was a lamb for a nation. John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What that lamb did for us so that we might be saved, it's, it's beyond our understanding. It's, it's, it's beyond words. The betrayal, the beatings, the torture, the mockery, the crown of thorns, the suffering, the separation from God, which had never happened in all of eternity. This morning, we don't even make it all the way to Calvary. That's this coming Friday, Good Friday service, 6.30 in here. Good Friday service. We but this morning, we don't even make it all the way to Calvary. Jesus is on his way. I, str I struggled whether or not to even show you this, but I, we showed it in middle schoolers, so I guess if we can show it to kids, we'll show it to the parents and grandparents. Some of you might not even want to see this. Jesus is on, he's on his way to the cross, and, and right before he got to the cross, Matthew 28 says, then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. You know, the Bible says, and he had Jesus flogged, he had Jesus scourged. Uh, it's just a 50-second clip. You might not even want to see it. It's brutal, but it's, it's part of what our Savior, the sufferings that he went through, sufferings that he went through. So on the way to the cross for me, this is what he went through. This was, just, this was just part of it. This isn't all of it. But I wanted to remind you what this day reminds us of, of the suffering this week, the suffering that Jesus went through, the pain and the torture and the separation that he, so that our sins could be laid upon him, so that we could be forgiven and restored once for all. You don't have to look. But this is what Jesus went through.
I, I wasn't worth that. I wasn't worth that. I would have done that for me. The flogging, the scourging was 39, 39 of those. The guy who did it would, would take that cat of nine tails and, and, and it would just not land on your back, but it would embed in your flesh and when he pulled it off, it would rip the flesh off of your back. Flogging was 40, was 40 lashes. They stopped at 39 because, you know, they didn't want to go over, make a mistake and go over the 40. So they stop at 39. But so often, so often what would happen in a scourging, in a flogging was when they would rip the flesh off of your back. Literally, a lot of guys in history, um, th their bowels just came out the back and they just died there. If the one who was torturing you wanted to do that to you, he would do that to you. But Jesus on the way to the cross, that's part of what it was. Isaiah described it this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. From the beginning of time, God has always told us sin brings a terrible price that has to be paid. Sin always demands a sacrifice. And the simple truth is my sin has to be paid for. My sin will be paid for. And there's only two individuals that could pay for my sin. I could choose to pay for my sin. I could say, God, I'm going to pay for my own sin. And I could for all of eternity. In a hopeless, helpless place called hell, I could pay for my sins. And it would go on for eternity. I could choose to pay for my sins. That's what a lot of people are doing today. I'm going to reject God. I'm going to reject Jesus. I'm going to reject what he's done for me. I'll pay for my own sins. And I, I could. I could pay for all of eternity for my own sins. But I, I, I choose Jesus. And his sacrifice for me and his sacrifice for you, our sins were laid on him. 2 Corinthians 5, and God laid on him my sins and God laid on me his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's what it says. I, I chose to let Jesus pay for my sins. What about you? <laughs> you know, right here, right where you are, you, you can make that choice. On the week leading up to Easter, the week that Jesus died and suffered for us would be the week that you could say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to pay for my own sins. For all of humanity, you've shown me the scarlet thread of redemption and your lamb of God has paid. And Jesus, I want to give to you my sin, my life. Bow your heads if you would. 
If you are in this room today and you know Christ is your Savior, in this time of prayer, would you pray for someone that you know, that you love, that does not yet have a relationship with Jesus? This is not their salvation prayer. You cannot pray them into heaven. They have to do that themselves. But would you pray that God would open a door in their lives that they would receive and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you pray for them? And for those in this room and those who are watching online, if you've never accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you, you could do it here. You could do it now. You could just say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying in my place on the cross for me, not just for the whole world, but for me. And Jesus, I accept your sacrifice and I offer to you my life. I give to you my sin. I pray your forgiveness and I ask you to come into my life. I yield myself to you. And on this day, I pray that the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world, I pray that you would take away my sins that you would come into my life, that you would restore me. And I thank you that because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for me and because of my acceptance of you as my Savior, that this day you have written my name in the Lamb's book of life. And Lord Jesus, from the rest for the rest of my life, I will follow after you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for me. Empower me to live for you until that great glorious day that I look and see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.